We would like to say a special thank you to Tim and Connie Larson for sponsoring this week's episode. Of course, even here, though, then we have to take the next step and say, yes, you can't do that, and Christ is killing you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what he wants here, mm-hmm. is that he is not building a kingdom, on this, a kingdom of this world, which always needs a decent prosecutor in it. Mm-hmm. He is instead building his heavenly kingdom, which comes through resurrection, and the only people who are resurrected are the dead ones. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. In this week's lectionary text, we hear Jesus lay out the terms of the law, such as, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and the kicker, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We hear this and think to ourselves, how are these even possible? That's the law functioning on you. Luther House of Studies' Nick Hotman teaches Adam Curie and me how Jesus is using the two functions of the law to kill us. That's right, Jesus is using the law to kill you. He's not building his kingdom in a world ruled by the law, It's a heavenly kingdom through resurrection. And to have new life, you have to die first. Let's get to it. Here's Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore." as your heavenly Father is perfect. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have Nick Hopman here. Thanks for being here, Nick. Thank you. I'm even more excited than usual, if that's possible. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't you. think it is. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so we've been opening up with Lars and with Sarah and Chris, Nick, uh, just saying a little something about yourself. We've asked you a couple things, but is there any, have we asked you everything about yourself or do we know everything? Or Well, I'm glad you started with those three and are ending with me. You're finally, you know, you have to build up, pace yourself, build up your tolerance, your strength, and now exactly. you're ready for A little me, bit. So. 
Yeah. You're a heavy hitter. Yeah. Is there anything? What else? Uh, yeah. What's, what a, what's, a fun, what's something that's, a, that's kind of fun about you that we don't know? Kind of fun about not me. really fun, but kind of just kind of 50 50. Uh, my, my girls all go to Tiger Rock, uh, Taekwondo, and they've now turned me into a punching bag. So there you nice. go. There's something about me. Nice. That's about your girls, technically. Well, no, he, I mean, he, what are they going to hit? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's got an absolutely rock solid core from just getting kicked. <laughs> He's like, punch me right now. Punch me. I dare you. <laughs> so uh, that's fun. So jumping maybe, right in. Maybe next time we'll hear something else. Uh, <laughs> we're in the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. Uh, but we're... we're you can getting, tell Adam is stoked. Yeah, we're getting closer to the end. Uh, maybe, uh, Nick, you said there's uh, something that you can talk about as far as just the consensus regarding the Sermon on the Mount, um, just at the very start. Yeah, Bible scholars, Bible historians uh, like to see in this sort of a progressive evolution of law. So they'll take what Jesus takes from the Old Testament here, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and they'll start claiming, well, even this was a way of sort of taming down punishment for wrongdoing, for sin, for crime. Um, it took the lex talionis, as it's called, the law of retaliation, and put it into Israel's law so that there it would be tamed, it would have a fence put around it. Uh, maybe this was even more merciful than worse forms of punishment, like, you know, two teeth for a tooth or whatever the case might be. Sure. And then we see the evolution, and now here Jesus is moving to the final form of the law in which all retaliation is forbidden, and we see that the way that you deal with wrongdoing and crime is not ever through violence of any way, shape, or form. Um, of course, this is actually baloney. Um, the law, in its first use, does uh, restrain violence, mm -hmm. um, but the, a great way of stating the law in its first use is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. When yeah. you have those kind of laws, that's what actually uh, restrains violence. You know, in this country right now, we're all the victims of George Soros. Excuse me, I have to spit on the carpet whenever I say that name. Who's given us a bunch of prosecutors who think their job is to help out criminals. And we can see on the news all the time what happens from that. So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is actually a great law that helps to restrain violence. It's, it's not the opposite, as our historians would tell us. And maybe you can just say again, because you're saying that there's a... a purpose of the law or the law has, I mean, a use in some ways? Yeah, the law has two uses. Yeah. Its first use is to basically make life function, protect us from killing each other, hold the creation together long enough for us to be able to hear the word of God on the Sabbath and every day that we're alive. And then the second use, of course, is to show us our sin, to attack us, to attack our consciences and drive us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, the preacher of the law doesn't get to decide which use is affecting the hearer. If I start teaching on a commandment, uh, if I teach not to um, covet or try to get your neighbor's cattle in a scheming way, as Luther defines uh, some of the commandments, one person's going to say, 
oh yeah, that that makes sense. And they're gonna next time they go buy a cow, they're gonna say, how do I make this fear fair for me and the seller? Yeah. Another guy's gonna hear that and say, oh man, I just got that uh, heifer for two hundred bucks, and I really kind of screwed Billy, my neighbor. Yeah, yeah. So it's gonna work in different ways. Now that doesn't mean that the preacher has zero control and can't kind of aim things a little bit. And of course, Jesus is the very best at doing this. And here he's clearly moving sort of from the first use of the law to the second use of the law. This is not, he's not saying these things so that there's less death and less violence, like our progressive scholars would tell us. He's saying this so there's more death. He is killing you. Mm-hmm. What happens if you live in a world in which you give everything away to uh, criminals and beggars? Well, mm-hmm. you're you have not gonna, nothing. Exactly, you're not going to be around in that world very long. And but you, can, you honestly can't do it. Well, you can't really fulfill that because if you keep doing that, then you have nothing else to give to, like your spouse, your family. That sort of thing. Now, there you go. I was going to disagree with you at first, but then you brought in vocation. And you're Mm, right. Yes, yes. Gotcha. Yeah, your vocation limits your responsibility. It makes certain people more important than others. Mm -hmm. And so you can't do this and fulfill your other uh, vocations that God himself calls us into. Of course, even here, though, then we have to take the next step and say, yes, you can't do that, and Christ is killing you. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what he wants here, mm-hmm. is that he is not building a kingdom on this, a kingdom of this world, which always needs a decent prosecutor in it. Mm-hmm. He is instead building his heavenly kingdom, which comes through resurrection, and the only people who are resurrected are the dead ones. Yeah. So maybe I just read uh, some from 39, uh, 40, 41, 42. But I say to you, this is Christ speaking, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Can't be done. So, I mean, he's, uh, you hear this and uh, like Kiri is saying, yeah. you, the first thing is, how is this even possible? Mm-hmm. I'm stuck in the law right now, Nick. <laughs> Help me. Well, I, we're not going to get a whole lot of help throughout this reading, really. Right. But, um, yeah, there's even a, sort of a difference between the first paragraph and then when he starts talking about loving your neighbor in the second paragraph, because, of course, give to everyone who begs from you. What's the worst thing that you can do to, for a bum? Give them money. Yeah. Then it's going to go for alcohol or drugs or whatever the case may be. Um, so just further proof here that, that Curie's right about being killed. This is not, the top part here is not to try to even help anyone. Mm-hmm. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that helps someone. Yeah. yeah. But giving away everything, giving to the beggars is just, you're, you're the one hearing this and this is trying to kill you. Yeah. Even do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Uh some people shouldn't can't borrow. <laughs> it's not it's not good for them to borrow. It's not good for yeah. you to to give money uh, mm-hmm. in that way too. Yeah. It's, so I'm gonna dial this, scale this back a little bit. What do you mean? Jesus is killing you. Are you meaning that in the literal sense? Like, because you hear that God is the one that provides life. God is the one who takes your life away. 
Is is this when when you're saying Jesus is killing you? What what are you getting at? Well, a couple things. Um, first, the second use is a is a revelation. We are dead in our sins, but we don't realize it until the law comes and and through that second use reveals it to us. So he's he's reminding us that we're already dead mm-hmm. spiritually. We are in wrong relation with God, and when we hear this. Uh, we say no, because we think it's actually our job to protect our lives rather than to lose them for Christ's sake or to depend fully, wholly, and completely on God to give us life. So there's that aspect. Um, Now, when you say, is this the same as God who uh, gives life and takes away, as it says in the Old Testament, um, very close. Uh, Luther's got this famous thing in which he talks about there being two kinds of people. There's life deathers and death lifers. <laughs> and um, so this is not that God has given you life for a while and is now killing you. It's that God is a death lifer. And so he is, he's killing you to set you up for life. This is the, the penultimate rather than the ultimate work that he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, he continues on uh, in this second paragraph. You've heard it. You've heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and so on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So he continues to sort of, uh, we said, magnify, turn up the law uh, in some way. Last episode with Dr. Krogan that. Uh, not only shall you love your neighbors, but also love your enemies too. Yeah, exactly. Um, he is turning up the heat on the law, and he can take these perfectly fine legal statements from the Old Testament, and, uh, well, he's, he's contradicting them in a certain way. He's, he's saying that this, this revealed law was in part uh, meant to limit. It was in part given because your hardness of heart. Yeah, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. Sure, that's that's, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. But then the other thing in here, you get um, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for He makes His sun rise on the evil and the good. Now, I wouldn't call this the gospel, but it's uh, there's almost a little bit of hope there because if He's giving sun and rain to the evil and the unrighteous, then maybe there's a little bit of hope for you and me. So backing up a little bit to kind of verse 44 that leads into what you were just talking about, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of the Father of heaven. Um, That's tough. Like what you were saying, that's really tough to do. Um, Pray for those who persecute you, especially having our sinful hearts and not always hearing that good word for us. And being beaten down to a pulp throughout the week and throughout the month as life goes on. What does, it says, it uses the word so in the beginning of verse 45, so that you may be children of your father in heaven. Mm-hmm. How do those two verses relate to each other? Well, I mean, it, it's causative. It's, it's saying, <laughs> if you do this, then you will be that. Uh, this is the So that's a prescription. Exactly. But it, it's it's the law. It's it, what Luther would say is this is the law taunting us. Mm-hmm. It's holding out the candy bar in front of us, mm-hmm. and we can't grab it. 
It's saying, if you would do this, this would happen. But that does not imply uh, capability. That doesn't mean that, that we can do that. Um, <clears throat> now, as I was saying, there's starting to be some sort of a, a hope possibly here in these words. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, where might love of enemies actually come from were it to actually exist anywhere? Well, it would come from seeing that uh, we are Christ's enemies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet, what has he done for us? Mm -hmm. And that is also a very important thing to remember throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is that who actually does this stuff? Christ. Christ alone. Yeah. Christ has, Christ has fulfilled all this. Yeah. Uh, he is the one who turned his cheek to us, who did not count our sin against us, who even though we were enemies, died for us, who proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, as mm -hmm. Paul says. Um, so that that's another uh, one step back from the immediacy of this particular sermon that Jesus <coughs> is preaching that we have to keep in mind. Now, at the same time, he is not just, uh, he's not fulfilling these words all the time in the active sense, as Lutheran orthodoxy likes to try to teach us. <clears throat> For instance, um, he, there's, there's quite a few times when uh, Luther, uh, <laughs> Luther, when Jesus is, <laughs> One is, the same. is, is, is uh, going after his enemies. Yeah. Yeah. He's not uh, he's not particularly prone to hitting and punching or removing teeth or eyeballs, uh, but he does throw over the money changers' tables. You know, so he's not his record is not completely perfect on that in that regard. But he's he's fighting them tooth and nail with his words, calling them names, mm -hmm. uh, pointing out all their sins rather than turning the other cheek. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be kept in mind as well when we talk about Jesus fulfilling his words in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he does it passively. Hmm. It's not some new rule that he actively obeys to show us the way. Mm -hmm. he, he becomes the one hit on the cheek. Sure. He becomes the one who has everything taken away from him. Mm -hmm. So I want to wrap this out so that we can talk about it in a little bit fuller of a sense. Um, verse 47 says, And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> well, there you <clears> go. <throat> The impossible so. standard, be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that feels good. Yeah. What's that mean? Well, uh, I'll it, just does give it you a literally, little... Is it the literal sense here? Yes, it is. Okay. Now, every Bible commentary you read will tell you this is hyperbole. He doesn't actually mean this. This is There's an old Jewish tradition in which perfection doesn't really mean perfection, yada, yada, yada. No, he means perfection. <laughs> um Oh, gosh, now I forgot what I was going to say. I had a nice little historical example here. Do you need me to ask the question again? <laughs> I don't know if that'll do any good. <laughs> Bible commentary, perfection. Oh, yes, here it is. Luther actually preferred Pelagians to semi-Pelagians. Pelagius was a monk from the early church who said, 
you know, let's let's stop talking about all this silly grace stuff. The grace is is that God makes you a created being who has the ability to choose right and wrong and <laughs> obey God's law. That's the only grace there is. Mm-hmm. You get saved whether or not you do the right thing, whether you obey God's rules and uh, you know are loyal to Him. Now that gets uh, anathemized. Everybody likes Augustine and his reply to Pelagius. Augustine's big on grace. But then, of course, as always happens in the church, as soon as something gets made anathema, then it secretly starts to come back in. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we Lutherans and Protestants in general would call semi-Pelagianism comes to rule the Middle Ages. The form Luther receives it in in popular is do your best and God will do the rest. It's semi-Pelagianism. Mm-hmm. Well, Luther says, no, if we're going to be doing our best, better to be Pelagius than these medieval wimps who are... Half Pelagians. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that I, the reason I mention that now is to further confirm that this is precisely what Jesus means. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mean be half perfect. He means be perfect. Mm-hmm. How do we? I mean, th- this is the question Kiri has. But how do you? How, how do we? How do we hear that today? Then, or what? When we hear this, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yes, Christ is saying that in its yeah, most literal full sense. sense yeah. How are we to uh, hear that and then come to terms with the gospel, or, or is this is this the gospel? Yeah, or? I don't want to be on the pulpit preaching this personally. <laughs> this is certainly not the gospel. I mean, then the way, why the way, is it the gospel? <laughs> it's in a book called a gospel. <laughs> then why do they have it as the gospel reading? Uh, because they have because liturgy has taken on this sort of genre theory of the Bible in which. Gospel means something from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but nowhere else. And Luther clearly says in What to Look for and Expect in the Gospels, there are not four Gospels, there's one, one. Gospel. And if you want to hear it best, you should probably go to Romans. <laughs> and after you go to Romans, then you can go back to these four historical books that we call Gospels and find it in there as well. But So are you saying that during this week, the person who's preaching should just go to the first or second readings and ignore the Gospel reading? What should they do? I am saying they better understand what Paul is talking about by the gospel in Romans and Galatians. Okay, and so what's he talking about? And then you can go into about? Matthew, and there you can preach specifically uh, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Okay, so how would they do that? What would they say? Well, you would say, I hear rumors that God makes it rain <clears throat> on the good and the evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I know you haven't given everything you have to the beggar, and I haven't, but I hear rumors about some dude who has. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you can start talking about Christ and how he passively fulfills these words in his suffering and death, but how he doesn't always obey them, because as God, as Christ, as God is turning the other cheek, he's also taking something for himself, and he won't give it back to you no matter how bad you beg for it, no matter how bad we want it, no matter how many times we hit him on the cheek, mm-hmm. namely our sin. Mm-hmm. So that is the gospel. And I've just preached that because I've actually read Romans once or twice, and I've read beyond these uh, 11 verses in Matthew that we're talking about right now. Is Carrie satisfied? I don't That's know. 
<laughs> you good? A very combative end, but that's yeah. Jeez, yeah. we've got to figure it out. I mean, I'm I just, just I'm I just asking did. Them. I just figured it out. I know, Karen, but I'm, and you're I've looking gotta, at me like a cow looks at the gate. <laughs> I've got to ask the hard questions because that's what people are are wondering. Exactly. There's exactly. no gospel in here. Why do they have it be the gospel? Like I don't hear it. Well, because as Luther says in there, Jesus does many things other than be the gospel would actually be the best way. I mean, he <laughs> preaches the gospel too, but Luther says it's 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 better to hear about Christ um, rather than to learn about his actions or this. And, uh, you know, he's got this whole thing that his preaching is better than his actions and all those sorts of things. Um, but the fact of the matter is that Christ is not an example. He is a gift. He is a sacrament before mm-hmm. he teaches us what to do. And so you do have to have these larger issues um, norming and regulating how you're going down to break this open. Luther says, I broke through when I realized the righteousness of God in Romans 1.17 is the righteousness by which he makes us righteous. Yeah. And he says, then I immediately went back through the scriptures through memory, and I, a whole new world was opened up. I began to understand all these things. Uh, he doesn't specifically say this, but when you have that, Christ is the righteousness of God, then you understand what's happening in Matthew 5. Mm-hmm. Then you can let the law go full bore and say, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, rather than be half perfect or be mm-hmm. kind of a nice guy sometimes, mm-hmm. or however the law usually gets preached. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Nick Hopman for teaching us how the law is functioning on us. The first use holds creation together long enough to hear the gospel. The second use is revealing our sin to us and attacking our conscience. It drives us to Jesus. When Jesus says, be perfect, he means it. It's not hyperbole. We're dead in our sins, but we don't realize it. The law points it out. We're already dead spiritually. Jesus is using the law to kill you, but luckily, God is building a heavenly kingdom through resurrection. And to be resurrected, you have to die first. I want to invite you to listen to Luther House of Studies' newest podcast, Sing to the Lord. Martin Luther said next to the word of God, the art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Lars Olsen and I sit down with Zachary Brockhoff each week to break down a hymn, its history, the meaning behind the lyrics, and how the music preaches the gospel, all to understand and appreciate the importance of hymnody in the Lutheran Church. Click on this episode's show notes for a link to sing to the Lord's podcast feed so you can listen to the show and subscribe to hear the weekly episodes. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, When Jesus says, be perfect, he already knew he was fulfilling the law. We'll see you next week on Scripture First.